playing just for you. Sometimes I see white folk drag black bodies through my news feed, giving it similar history to Mississippi mud, blood-littered roads, phone screens morphing into pickup trucks with General Lee painted windows and nooses hanging from the hitch, celebratorily towing limp melanin like tin cans just married to their beliefs while self-righteousness proudly hangs from their hands. Sometimes... I see them jump on the necks, the Jacqueline Dixons, Trayvon Martins, Mariah Carey's, Nick Cannon's, Rakia Boyd's, Erica Badu's, Drake's, Jussie Smollett's, Cory Booker's, Rihanna's, or Kamala Harris's with excitement, entitlement, and a smile. Sometimes I see the nefarious or guilty Cosby's and Tigers get strung up by pale hands and lugged with excitement instead of allowing these figures' own people to do the bidding. Yet for some reason, regardless of the deeds of the flesh, I get sick from caucasious elation to rev engines and floor the gas, ferrying bodies through a sea of white presumption that was never built for us. A brown trial is never a hearing to white ears. Lately, to put myself at ease, I take myself back to the days before I noticed they were starving to feast on us. One centered in lunchroom ciphers and hallway freestyles, where we use black magic to morph trash cans into bass drums, turn cafeteria tables into snares. Now, when my feed grows stressor from watching them feed on us, I pull out joy from my pocket in the form of the world's tiniest beat machine. Recreating stripped-down versions of grinding on loop that rattled through the corridors of our campuses like a herd of bull. They assumed we were pushing for malice, cause for real, they've been doing just that on repeat while mounting us where all eyes can see since the days of newsstands and set of feeds. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it most times. I rap the aggressive stuff I would love to say out loud in my own head like Issa Rae, which is to say, I keep the responses to myself I imagine they seem less threatening that way. I feel like they want me to snap, but expect me to be angry and black. Got me looking crazy in the mirror here, knuck if you buck like, boy, you better let them know they can get it on sight. See, I've been manhandled by white fragility since before I knew what the word molestation meant. I've been fighting over slurs, microaggressions, and over acts of racism way before my fists could clutch rows out of ivory and were labeled dangerous and could be seen labeled defensive. So for now, I may be seen staying the way they want me quiet, but I refuse to play dead. Be just another rattling iron-filled something hanging from someone's bumper. Though I think my palms are less likely to be crucified if they are seen wielding a tiny beat pad instead of going at the throats and thorns of those trying to plant me. I can't fit even the world's smallest beat machine in a pair of pants that are full of my own balled up fists and bitten tongues. But if I lose my joy, it is only a matter of time before my patience turns gunpowder to a temper with the aim of Tubman's musket. So for now, I'll keep playing. Just 
for you. Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I'm your host, Brett Kane, and what you just got done listening to was Fable the Poet's new poem, which actually just won the Miller Audio Poetry Prize, um, Grand Prize, and uh, it's called Playing Just for You. Um, obviously, today's guest is Fable the Poet. And if you're not familiar with him, you're about to be because he's a wonderful human doing some really cool work out in the world, centralized in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but having an effect that's actually rippling throughout the nation. He is Grand Rapids Poet Laureate, founder of the Drunken Retort, Slam Poetry Gathering, founder of the Diatribe, as well as many others. Um, and he's a really cool dude. He was actually one of the first few people that I heard of when I moved into Grand Rapids, so this is an honor to host him and to be able to pick his brain on his path and his perception of what poetry is and what informs the work that he does. I think this is an outstanding conversation, feeling like every episode I'm getting more and more into my role as host, and I'm starting to have even more involved in fleshed out conversations. And I think that this is a nice example of that. I really enjoyed spending this time with him and I wish him nothing but the best. Um, He's got a lot of cool ways to soak up his media. He's got some really cool YouTube videos. Um, As he says in this podcast, he's actually written a book of poetry, which you'll be able to get, I think he said next year. It says it in here. I can correct it in the description. But yeah, uh, this is an awesome episode. I am really excited with how this turned out, and I think it covers up a lot of cool avenues and details about the world of poetry, which, unless you're in it, you probably don't know much about it. I certainly didn't. I have a very limited experience with it, so being able to tap in with someone who is very, very embedded in the local scene and the national scene at that, it was... It, it was an honor, it was humbling, and I am just very thankful for his time, and I look forward to the next time that we can do it, um, having this conversation, conversation, I can speak, um, actually spurned a lot of interest in some future projects that I would love to include him on, as well as other folks. Uh, we'll talk about that later as those plans come to fruition. Uh, outside of what's going on in this episode, um, some other cool updates is that I have fully charted and mapped out a Patreon service that I will likely be unloading or unveiling next year. Um, I want to really ensure and get into the routine and habit of releasing more and more quality episodes, so that is my prime concern, providing you with all of the ideas and conversations that have inspired me and allow you to be able to tap into that. But I do have a lot of ideas with how I want to expand the scope of the show to not just be a podcast. I want this to be something that people can plug into from as many different avenues as possible and really reap the full benefits of a lot of the ideas that we're espousing here. I just threw my pen. I'm a very uh, hand-focused talker. I'm always doing the hand things, so... um, forgive me for that but yeah i'm really excited i have some very lofty aspirations and i'm sure that i can meet at least 80 percent of them which means y'all are going to have a really cool project to plug into and it's going to be able to focus everything we talk about on you so i'm i'm really excited i i like i want to tease out some of the ideas but i'm not going to you can't make me so um Without further ado, I don't want to take up too much time because this conversation was really cool and I want you to be able to sit and listen to all of it. So without further ado, here's Fable the Poet. 
Fable, hello. Welcome to the show, my friend. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I actually just got done re-listening to the poem that you sent that all the listeners just heard, uh, just for you. And I, I, I always find this experience. Whenever I'm listening to really good poets or wordsmiths, I get a physical sensation. And I don't know what that is. Are you are you familiar with that? Yeah, like the tingly, like the, almost like that weird, like I, it's so hard to describe, but I know, I definitely know what you're talking about. Yeah, I almost get this like feeling in my throat, like yeah. my, my heart feels like this like pressure, this like tenseness. And to me, that is really indicative of like the power of what you're doing. So Thank you. I'm, <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, I always like to start off by just like inflating people's egos just so, you know, it helps a little bit. Um, So I'm really curious. um, You are the Grand Rapids Poet Laureate, uh, which is like the official poet of Grand Rapids, which I honestly didn't know cities had official poets. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've been in the game for quite a while now. Would you say 10 years? Yeah, I'd I'd say 10 years would be accurate. Um, I I don't I wouldn't say that I've been full time with it for 10 years. Uh, I'd probably say that I've been full time uh, with art for five, uh, but I'd say that maybe even longer than 10 years. You know, I really started writing yeah. in high school in like 2006, 2005. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So it's kind of like it, it runs in your blood then. What, um, yeah. what I'm wondering is like, how did you find out that poetry was your compass? How did you find out that this was the thing for you? Yeah. Like, so what, what I, were the conditions, so to speak? I think, like, really personally, my whole, I feel like a, a, a real common theme in my life is, like, just circles, like, things working in full circle. Um, the reason that I write today, uh, there's an incredible nonprofit organization in the city of Ann Arbor called the Neutral Zone. Um, in the Neutral Zone, at one point, was this really sketchy warehouse, uh, and they brought the best DJs in the city to teach kids how to DJ, and they brought the best poets in the city to teach kids how to write, and they brought the best MCs in the city, and, and just all these different mediums, right? Um, but in 2005, uh, a teacher sent me to this camp uh, called the King Chavez Parks Camp. It's a, a camp for a bunch of black and brown kids to to go, hopefully get inspired to go to higher education, uh, this camp was at the University of Michigan. We got to stay in the dorms. We got to go through all these different workshops. Uh, and one of the workshops was ran by some local poets who were on the Ann Arbor Slam team at the time uh, and who were also doing programming through the neutral zone. Uh, when I was doing the workshop with them, I was like, yo, uh, I like this a lot. Uh, so I ended up coming home with a bunch of notebooks. My mom was like, you're excited about college. And I'm like, no, I'm excited about poetry. And she was like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) that's not good. Um, so yeah, after that point, I was like all in, I I went to a high school talent show and performed at the talent show and everybody's like, oh, what? Oh, so speed. Um, so like, that was like, I was like, man, my voice matters. What? People are listening to me. They're gassing me up. Oh, this feels incredible. Um. So after that, I just stuck with it and stuck with it. Started going to open mics uh, and, and and stuff like that. And then it grew and grew and grew and grew uh, to what it is now. Wow, that's amazing. What were those first few poems like for you? Like, was there a little bit of like trepidation as you were walking into that? Or did you immediately come out the gate swinging? Oh, man, they were trash. They were trash. I, I thought yeah. at the time I came out the gate swinging. At, at the time, you probably couldn't tell me. I was like, oh, this is the greatest. These are the bars. Um yeah. 
but uh no they were i look back on them now and i'm like ooh, that was doo-doo um yeah. i also tell like a lot of the kids that we work with now i'm like you're such a better writer than i was when i started and they're like you're just saying that i'm like no i was trash yeah. um <laughs> uh yeah a lot of them uh if we're talking like thematically what are they about uh I, I i wrote a lot about my neighborhood i wrote a lot about uh where young people were at in 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 my generation uh i talked a lot about what i saw in the world um which really isn't too much different than the writing i do now yeah yeah i can feel that a lot um yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I feel like a big part of poetry is it's like the final outcome matters and the way you deliver it matters. But a big part of it and the way that I perceive it in my worldview is that it's almost like linguistic shamanism. Like you're actually moving <laughs> emotional energy throughout your body as you're writing. So like what was really hitting for you hit for you because like you were there in like the process of it. And it was like a way to not just express, but also like establish who you are. I don't know. I yeah, want to speak of your doubt. experience. No, that's, yeah. that's a, that's a really perfect way to put it a hundred percent. And I think that's what makes me gravitate towards a lot of different writers and storytellers and speakers. Is like when you, you can feel in your bones that they, that they mean what they're saying, that they feel yeah. what they're saying. Um, and yeah, like you said, you gravitate towards that a hundred percent. What do you think that that sensation is? I mean, there's probably some poets or MCs out there that don't feel it in their bones, but they're just kind of like spouting it off. Like, do you feel like that that authenticity? Like, how do you generate that, and how do you deliver that in a way? Like, why do we feel that? Why do I get that feeling in my throat? And like, why does my skin start to perk up? Like, do you have any idea what that that magic sauce is? I don't know if I do know what that magic sauce is. Besides what you said, which is authenticity and vulnerability. Um, I feel like I, I feel it often. Like there's times where I'll be sitting in, in a classroom with a kid and like, they'll be telling me their story and I'll still get that same feeling. Like when I hear a good poem or like, there's a time where I'm like sitting with an elder, right. And they're telling me about their life and their story. So many times with, with elders, um, I'll listen to them and I'll get that feeling of where it's just like, like I'm, I'm, I'm like zooming out and, and I'm, and I'm glued there. Um, and I think that's exactly what it is. It's like your, your body, your mind feels the authenticity. It, it senses the vulnerability. It, it almost like makes you go back to those places and those moments where you were the same. Um, and I think that that's what that feeling is. Yeah. Yeah, I've always been in the impression that like truth, capital T truth, is actually knowable, but it's not to the discursive thinking mind, but the heart is able to pick up on it. So it's not about as much what you say, but how you say it and the emotions that are generating the words, which I think like spoken word specifically is really interesting because it's not just an art of words, but it's also the rhythm, the pantameter and the emotional charge that you place on certain syllables within it. There's a meta to it. Um, how do you generate a strong sense of that meta within your own work, like Oof. with the writing process? Um, I don't know if I always think about it um, in the song, in the, in the poem playing just for you. Um, a lot of it was bouncing off cadences that were in some of my favorite songs and some of the songs we I was talking about at the time. Um, so it was actually like playing with those cadences uh, and the beats uh, that you'd hear on like trash cans and, and yeah. putting that actually in the, the poem and reading with that cadence and playing with that um, so that hopefully the listener is brought back 
not only through the cadence of the words, but the words themselves. Um, with other times, I really, I, I try to instill in a lot of people um, to make it feel natural and to make it feel comfortable. I kind of, like, there's like a, a stereotypical cadence behind spoken word poetry um, that uh, I, I'd say, like, pushes people away and makes people think that it's cliche and, or, or that it's corny. So a lot of times, I, I really just try to have people uh wrote it like they felt like, like like they felt it in the moment and, and to speak it like they felt it in the moment um and they can work on performance dynamics and again finding those moments of 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 vulnerability and authenticity bringing themselves back to that moment where they remember it and they're and they're reading it and they're talking about it like they felt it but i don't know if many times i focus on the cadence uh of my work well hopefully i didn't just plant a seed that trips you up in the future <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i was a good poet until i talked to brett what happened next um, thing i knew i was focusing on the cadence all the time yeah. <laughs> yeah. but he got really good at that cadence let yeah, me tell you good. what he was saying i don't know yeah. but <laughs> so have you noticed with like up-and-coming poets that like the words have a resonance but like they still need to work on that performance dynamic is that kind of a common thing to kind of yeah. stumble I on that I come across so many writers that are truly incredible writers. I, I think even uh, I might know more dynamic writers than I know truly dynamic performers. Wow. Um, I think when you find the blend of both, that's when you start to like really find the unicorns in in the worlds of like in, in the world of like literary art, right? Um, like when I think of like the people who got both, I think of like the Donnez Smiths. Um, when I think of the people who can do both, I think of like the, the Franny Choi's, the, the Sarah Kay's, the, the, the Buddy Wakefield's, uh, like that. It, it's something that's so rare. Like I know a, a million dope performers. I know a million dope writers. Um, but when you have that refreshing blend of both, like that's, that's that extra yeah. secret sauce you're talking yeah. about. How do you think you develop it if you're like an amazing writer, but you don't have, is it just experience and I guess like a subtle feeling of like what works and doesn't like, what do you think separates uh, the wheat from the chaff, so to speak? Yeah, I think, I think almost anything in life, if you, if you practice enough and you really throw your all into it, you can, you can get better. You got to learn, you got to study, you got to soak it in, you got to soak it in, you got to soak it in. Um, in the same way that people become better writers by reading, I think that people become better performers by soaking in the work, by listening yeah. to the work, by watching the work. Um, so it's, again, just putting in those hours and in, in understanding what you need to get better at uh, and then continuing to, to sharpen your sword. Yeah. So I almost feel like community is kind of an essential uh, ingredient in developing your skill. I mean, honestly, with like anything, but especially with something like this, because as you were getting into it, you know, you thought it was like the sickest stuff, but every like, well, vice versa. Um, yeah. Well, no, you look back, um, but like having people to be able to like reinforce and also guide you in a way that is actually productive and not just like, yeah, you did great, bud. Like, yeah. even though there's things to work on, you know. No, community is key in all things, whether it's an artistic community, whether it's a, a, a community rooted in uh, advocacy. Um, I, I'd say community is key in all things, your neighborhoods, your schools, like community is the bedrock of so many great things for sure. Yeah. 
And I think that's honestly one of our biggest like problems right now at the the yeah. nationwide stage is like we don't even know our neighbors. I know my yeah. immediate next door neighbors, but like I can't say I've had like a full fledged conversation. And yeah. when shit hits the fan, who am I gonna go to? You know, I'm more yeah. likely to go further down the road than I am to my neighbor. And that's, I think that's a bummer. Yeah. Once upon a time before social media was a thing, you knew everybody yeah. on the block. Like, yeah, but that, yeah. that's also, I talk, I, I'm somebody who very much believes that to my core. Um, so I'm somebody who definitely tries to go out and get to know all my neighbors or see, Hey, who has kids on the block? And, and can we put the kids to work? Can the kids rake leaves? Can the kids yeah. shovel snow? Like, can we pay the kids? Like, can the kids do childcare to, to relieve that burden of people like i think that that's something that's really 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 important um and that we definitely need to pull close again especially yeah. as you said now with especially with covid where so many people feel alone and so many people feel isolated like those yeah that community factor is is crucial yeah. I think that's honestly one of like the hardest things to navigate is like not only are we having COVID, but like there's all of these other issues that are <clears throat> really starting to get to the surface. And because of COVID, we're often locked in our houses, not actually connecting hearts with people. So I feel like it's a lot mm -hmm. easier to drum up division because you're not actually interacting with anybody. So we're relying on like external sources telling us X, yeah. Y, and Z. And it's like... Yeah. A division of we are not the United States anymore. We're just a bunch of states that, you know, yeah. have various different ideologies. Um, yeah. But what I think is cool about your platform and everything that I've seen you do is that you are a community builder. Like I would say, and this is my ascribed title, like number one poet, number two community builder. You have multiple organizations and nonprofits that are all. <laughs> bringing people together and creating new ways for people to interact with each other. So for me, like the, the, honestly, you were one of the first people that I was made known of when I moved to Grand Rapids about four years ago, the drunken retort was like, I asked our mutual friend, uh, <laughs> Mr. Beecroft, uh, Alex Beecroft. And I was like, yeah, like what's there to do around here? And it was one of the first things he said was like, yo, the drunken retort is really cool. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, what's that about? And, um, I went and it definitely left an impression, you know, and I think most people that go feel there's like a resonance to that back room, you know. Uh -huh. So for people who don't know what the Drunken Retort is or have never heard of it, in your words, how would you describe that? Um, so uh, the Drunken Retort is a congregation of folks. It is, it is a church without... Uh, as much of the, the, the patriarchy uh, or the, the, the belief systems rooted in oppression, uh, it's a church for the folks who just want to like come together and their gospel is poetry, their gospel is performing arts, the scripture is your story, right, is what the drunken retort is. It's, a, it's the, the collection of misfits, uh, the people who all believe in change, believe in something that's bigger than themselves, but don't necessarily know where to begin, uh, come to the drunken retort. Uh, the, the people who uh, sing in their shower come to the drunken retort. The writers who never saw themselves as writers, but like love to, to share their truth, uh, come to the drunken retort. Uh, the comedians uh, who want to go to a room where they have to challenge themselves because people aren't just gonna let them say, 
uh, some derogatory words about women, right? Uh, if the drunken retort, right? They're going to get checked if, if, if their jokes go too far off the rails. That's who comes to the drunken retort. Um, also, some of the best poets in the country come to the drunken retort. Poets come from New York and North Carolina. Like some of the biggest names in the business have been to the drunken retort. The T. Millers, the C.R. Freemans, the Christopher Michaels, the, the Rudy Franciscos have been to the drunken retort. Um, and, and like, that's something that's really beautiful, but the drunken retort is also something that not everybody knows about, but the people who do know about it are like, oh, it's the drunken retort, uh, which also is like the cool thing about, about the space and about the show. Uh, for those that don't know what it is or what it looks like, it's a, it's a room in the back of a bar. So it's its own (laughs) space, um, that you kind of, you got to stumble into. Uh, it's a room that seats probably 60 comfortably, but that uh, 70 or 80 probably packed into pre-COVID. You can't pack people yeah, in now, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a wild, it's a loud room. Uh, people are encouraged to not be quiet. They're, they're encouraged to scream and yell and cheer and get rambunctious. Uh, and if they hate you, there's bells on the table so they can ring them. And then people yell, get the fuck off the stage. Um, so it's not just a place where it's like, people pander and say oh man you're so talented if they don't think you if they don't think you're talented um so it's a it's a space that challenges um yeah that's what the drunken retort is and i'm no longer a host of it now it's jocelyn and rachel and foster yeah i passed my host seat to a dynamic black woman named jocelyn uh and she is now uh head heading that that endeavor um but it's still magical so and it's gonna get even more magical so yeah. 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 And it's interesting that you, uh, you mentioned that like there's like bells and that people will tell you to get the fuck off the stage. Cause <laughs> when I was there, I mean, luckily that didn't happen. Um, but like the feeling that I got wasn't one of like, like it was a little bit rowdy, but it was also very supportive. Mm-hmm. From my understanding, like the bell ringing isn't to tell you that you should quit or like, you know, you eat shit, but like it's like, hey, like this is something that could be tightened up or could be framed differently. And I think, that kind of goes back to what we were saying with like, it's good to have actual constructive criticism. And, um, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, I, you were even the one hosting at the time and you, you even reiterated that right in the beginning. It's like, it's not because yeah. we don't like you. It's because we right. do like you and we want to see you succeed, yeah. you know? So yeah. I mean, I've been, by fire. I think everybody who's ever been to an open mic has been to that show where that guy's singing and there, but just like, Oh, <laughs> we're, we're going to listen to this for three songs. Yeah. Like and it's like, and maybe this person actually wants to get better, and maybe this person doesn't even know they need to get better, yeah. right? Maybe this person is just like just on their path, and yeah, it'll it'll hopefully push people in the right direction or tell people, hey, uh, if this is something you want to get serious about, do it a little better. It'll also set a standard for those people who are stepping in that room. There's a million open mics everywhere in in Michigan. There's there's a ton in Grand Rapids. You know, if you just want to go to somewhere where people will listen you got that option but yeah. if, if you want to come and you want to you want to hey you know what there's the bar i'm gonna jump to it uh and, and continue to try to push that raise the bar then you'd come to the drunken retort um yeah. and, and i think that it also makes not only the people supportive but it, it sets the bar high and and not just like where we live we have this thing that we call west michigan nice people mm-hmm. people in minnesota and elsewhere will call it midwest nice but it's it's really strong here um of just like gassing people to gas people, but not actually meaning the things that you're saying, um, 
or just like not actually believing the things you're saying, but just saying them to say them to appease yeah. people. Uh, and it's like, that's not, that's not that room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people do that because they think that they're being nice and they don't like want to hurt feelings, but like, I feel like if someone really wants to be successful at something, they have to be able to like take those hits and like, if their passion's strong enough, then they're going to go forward, you know? 100%. So truly like you're giving them the ability to express themselves in a more secure way, you know? Yeah. I think that that's the room really had that, that feeling. Um, the one that I went to was actually, I think it was a, um, it was like a getting people ready for a, a competition, right? Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys have like a team or is it just yeah. kind of like a room where people can independently practice and then get ready on their own pace? So I think for four years we, we did slams at the, at the drunken retort uh, where every once a month uh, it would be a slam, it'd be a competition, anybody could enter it. Um, and then at the end of the, the season, the end of the year, uh, we would take the people who have the most points, uh, they would go, go head-to-head. Uh, you get, of course, the most points if you get first or second mm-hmm. or third, and everybody who participates gets a couple points. Um, but at the end of the year, we'd have all the, the highest points scores uh, go head-to-head. Um, and then the, the top four people, who, who came out of that would then be our team for the season. And then gotcha. we'd send them to the National Poetry Slam, uh, which every year would be in a different spot. Um, so then we'd get to send these artists who were local artists who might not thought of chasing their dreams or, or going any farther. Um, and, and, and they would get to meet other dynamic artists from all over the country uh, and continue to, to network and, and expand and broaden their horizons. And again, that's what it's about, right? It's just continuing to get better and, and to push the craft farther. Um, so that's where that, that aspect uh, played into it as well. Yeah. Have you seen that result in any some like solid success stories? Has this been a container to help people actually find their way and earn a living? Like, do you think that this has created oh, yeah. some like gems that are actually really doing the work? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, so because of that, I mean, we had some, we had local artists, people like, for example, Sprout, right? Uh, Sprout went on a tour, uh, and, and while on tour was hitting all these different spots of poets who came and featured at the show, but also people that Sprout met at nationals, um, in, in that hosted shows that brought people to these events. And then Sprout got to get this book and then go to visit all these different places and get immersed in all these other people's communities. Oh. Um, we've also had other artists who have done the same, who have traveled to Chicago's, who have traveled to Ohio's, um, and got to meet these other people that they've met along this journey, uh, through the retort, which was like really, really, really beautiful. Um, but we definitely have, uh, a good amount of artists, who make uh, a few thousand dollars a year, tens of thousands of dollars a year, um, who started at the retort. Uh, and now that's a, a piece of their income, you know? Yeah, wow. Are you guys doing anything with uh, COVID? I imagine you can't really do that kind of setup online. Are you finding a way to, like, maintain the close-knit of the community? or? So that's, a, that's the struggle, to be honest, right? So like I said, I'm... I'm not uh, a host of the right, show anymore. Right. Um, but before we passed the baton, uh, COVID just started. Um, and we were doing the show uh, monthly. Um, and it was it was really, really, really cool. Um, but again, you that room, that energy, um, this full space where everybody's yelling and, and laughing and roaring and crying, 
um, that's hard to duplicate online, yeah. uh, especially when it comes to online. You 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 really need to take turns uh, when it comes to dialogue um, in that exchange. Um, and that's not the, the drunken retort was not the taking turns. It was yeah. constantly piling on top of one another, which was beautiful. Um, yeah. and, and that is very hard to duplicate. I think that they are going to find other organic ways to, to make that work, uh, and to make that come alive, to make it feel like everybody's like at a sleepover at somebody's house. Um, I think they are going to bring that feeling to life, uh, when it comes to the retort. Um, but yeah, that's that's the hard part right now, yeah. uh, especially when it comes to performing art spaces and, and where we're at in the world. Yeah, I mean, the life of an artist is already so uncertain. There's already so many gray variables that it's like, I don't like if I really want to dedicate the time to this, am I going to have money to eat or if I want to have a family, you know, like, am I going to be able to support a family doing this? So for... Fair. Um, the poet laureate of you know a city like what is success for a poet outside of just having your name heard and recognition um, if you don't mind talking about like the business side of things how do you find a balance between pursuing that specific creative potential and living a fully dynamic human life and have support and stability and yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm definitely down to talk about it. Um, so I'm somebody who's really fortunate. Uh, art is how I how I make my living, you know. That's how I got our house, right? Um, that's how I pay pay my bills. That's how we paid for our wedding. That's how we do, you know, everything is, is that's my income. Uh, it's not like a side hustle. It, it's everything I live and breathe. Um, I think if you're going to make it when it comes to your artistic talents, um, it's kind of like any other business. You need to have multiple revenue streams, right? Um, so for a while, one of my revenue streams was the Drunken Retort, right? There's multiple hosts who were all eating off it. Um, and then I had another revenue stream, which was being a teaching artist, right? The, the work that we do in schools, um, that was another revenue stream. And then another revenue stream would come from speaking at colleges and universities and events, right? That's another revenue stream. And then another revenue stream would come from uh, working with bookstores, private bookings, small bookings, uh, working with with different organizations, uh, mental health organizations, uh, crisis prevention organizations is another revenue stream. Uh, and then another revenue stream would be merch, right? So then you're just creating as many revenue streams as you can and figuring out which ones actually work and which ones don't work and which ones are sustainable. Uh, and then continuing to pile, the, pile them on top of one another until you kind of create your recipe. And then you realize which ones really work and which ones can grow and which streams can turn into rivers or maybe lakes. Uh, and then you can keep on swimming and staying afloat. Um, and that's really kind of how it all works, uh, at, least, at least how I made it work. Um, but now our nonprofit work, the work that we do when it comes to teaching, uh, that's grown larger than I could have ever guessed, right? Like now we have seven different teaching artists who teach under our nonprofit organization. Now we pay so many hip-hop artists and visual artists. Um, now we uh, work in in busy years, especially pre-COVID, with 20, 30 schools a year uh, doing assemblies, workshops, after-school programs. Like, now we're getting up, getting ready to drop downloadable content that's all rooted in black and brown voices. So it's like now we have culturally responsible content that's rooted in mental health. Uh, so schools all across the country, but especially in rural areas, um, can open up students' eyes and, and they can see themselves in somebody who doesn't look like them uh, to combat the current climate. So 
or gearing up to release these nine weeks of downloadable content that teachers can uh, dish out through Google Classroom. Uh, so the things continue to grow, to grow, to grow. Uh, one of my mentors was like, uh, there's a lot of people who work for their money and there's some people who make their money work for them. Uh, and, and what you have to do is get to, get to the point of where you can continue to invest in what you're doing, uh, but making the right investments to where everything can continue to grow. Uh, and we legitimize that work by creating a nonprofit organization, um, by creating separate small businesses and, and monitoring these businesses to see how they can grow. Wow. Yeah, and uh, that actually leads right into what I wanted to talk about, which is something that I find the most beautiful aspect of the work that you do in your specific platform is that you're a big advocate for talking about mental health, and it actually seems to have been like a fundamental pillar with a lot of the ways that you reach out and interact with the community. I also, before we get on that, really like that you said that it's a means, poetry is a means to communicate to people and show them that while we may look different, we actually experience some of the same things. And I think that that is, honestly, it's one of the most important things for me and why I wanted to reach out because I think right now, the more that we find ways to connect with each other, uh, just the better off that we'll be and we'll be more resilient as a community. And that was actually something that I felt when I went to the Drunken Retort is I was hearing from people that I wouldn't normally have been interacting with, especially because I was a new kid in town. But yeah. I was able to feel those emotions in it like it physiologically made me feel connected to them as <laughs> human to human, you know, <laughs> different cultural backgrounds. But I was able to like enter that shared space. And I think that... Um, by teaching kids how to do this, we're actually equipping the next generation with emotional resiliency to be able to actually connect with their neighbors. Um, yeah. And I think that, that I, that's just beautiful. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and, and thank you for, for putting it like that. I feel like as uh, to touch on one thing you said earlier, like we live in really divisive times, right? Maybe the most divisive times uh, in our lifetimes. Um and I think if we're going to break through that and if we're going to continue to look for progress and fight for progress and, and, and take every inch that we can, we need to find new ways to connect with people. And there's a lot of people who might have different political views. There's a lot of people who might have different life experiences um, that have shared uh, these huge, huge life experiences, whether it's they've shared the same trauma, right, or they, they've shared the same upbringing, uh, or they maybe they both grew up poor, right, in different places. Um, and, and I think it's finding that common ground and that shared experience, um, and using that is a is a starting point to build relationships uh, that's going to pull a lot of different people together uh, that might not have thought that it was possible to do that. And I and we definitely do that in schools, uh, and we definitely do that with the retort. A lot of people wouldn't think West Michigan. Is a diverse place, but if you yeah. walked in that room, you'd be like, "Man, you know, what's yeah. this is a really diverse place." Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I think that's the power again of, of vulnerability and, and of space making and place making, but also having diverse people um, make community and make place um, because then it trickles down into everything else around it, right? Right. Uh, if you have these queer hosts, you're going to have these queer people in the audience. If you have these black and brown hosts, you're going to have these black and brown people in the audience. Like, again, it, it, it's intentional space making. And I don't know if I ever knew that it was that. Now I have the language for that. But before I, I didn't know it was that. I was just like, man, let's, let's, let's make space because we don't got it. Yeah. 
And that's something that I realized um, my naivety bubble was kind of burst with the Grand Rapids scene. Uh, I don't honestly even go downtown anymore just because I feel like so much of it is just kind of like it's a monoculture and any appeal to bring in other people is typically done from within that monoculture. It's not the actual community members they're trying to reach to creating the initiatives. Now we're seeing a bit more of it. Um, but the entire vibe and the scene outside of a few pockets has just felt really, it's kind of disheartening. And, um, for me, I, I worked at, um, one of the biggest breweries in the city for yeah. a couple of years before a big story broke. Um, yeah. founders is what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I, I realized it was maybe after my first year in, I, I still had the naivety. I just moved in to Grand Rapids proper. And like, I of course heard about it. And I had this like epiphany moment when I was just like, yo, everybody in here is white and there's like yep. 400 people in here. And this yep. is like one of like the hottest spots, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was just like this weird eye opening experience where I was like that, that was even before all the, the big scandals came mm-hmm. out. And I was just like already starting to feel just like a little uncomfortable. And it was a little like, uh, I don't remember that show where like there's something really sinister going on, but everyone's like smiley and happy. And it was just like weird, you know? And then of course it came out with the scandal um, and everything that happened. And I was like, Oh, that's, but it's a mirror for what a lot of Grand Rapids is, you know? Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, but I I also think um, again, uh, and I'm in a really privileged situation. I know I'm somebody who's really, really, really fortunate. Um, and, and really, really lucky, but these things are going to change. Right. Um, and, and there's people who have the, the sauce or the seasoning for the sauce. They're starting to get a lot of resources. Um, like the way that the work that we look work, the the way the work that we do is going to look so much different in the next two, three years. Um, again, uh, the way that the way our neighborhoods look and things like that are going to look so much different. Like we're going to get to the point of where we acquire a space. Right. Uh, and where kids and neighborhood kids come around to that. Right. And, and we're going to get to a point of where we're not dependent on bringing people downtown to the cool spots to where we own the cool spots yeah. and, and to where like people gravitate to that. Right. And I think like those are things that so many pl- places have. Right. Detroit's have those things. Phillies mm-hmm. have those things. Newton, uh, New Orleans has these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Grand Rapids, we don't have as much of that. We have the cool food spots, but we don't yeah. necessarily have the cool arts and culture spots, right? Yeah. Um, but that's what we're going to build, right? And, and that's what that's what we're going to get the keys to be able to do and the resources to be able to do. Um, because I, I don't necessarily think that people want it to stay like this. They know that's not sustainable. Yeah. They, they know yeah. that's not the cities that people move to. Um, and, and, if, and if you learn to talk their language and, and you learn to to talk to the right people and tell them, yo, let me make this better. They might just do it. And I, and I think yeah. that's the situation we found ourselves in. Yeah. So I think the alternative to that, just like maintaining that status quo, like it's just boring. It's <laughs> like boring. it's just, it's really boring. And yeah, it's a big part of why I don't want to go down there often. I just, it's yeah, not the culture I want to be a part of. Yeah. I want to interact with everybody. I want to be able to be informed and influenced and gel with everybody, you know? And yeah, there's just, and that's why so many people move. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's weird though, because like everyone I know who moves always ends up coming back, and I don't know what that's about. It's like or they move to Denver. They move out of always, Grand Rapids. They move to yeah, Denver. Yep, yeah. It's Denver, or Asheville, in my circle. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's one exactly of the two. Like, what's going on here? 
That's where all the well-meaning white folks leave. They they leave the, yeah. the, to to Denver or Asheville. Yep. I can do good work here. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah, yep, yep. Then just they bring back the yeah. yeah. They um, trade so, the fresh water for the mountains. That's right. Yeah, not the worst trade, but yeah, I'm starting yeah. to really respect Michigan this year. I, I like just the got water. back from the water is great. It's like the best natural resource that we could possibly have. And it and, like, it's, and it's so yeah, like you said, it's the best natural resource. It's also beautiful. Like yeah. if you can get out of the city, you drive two hours mm. north. Whoo. Yeah. Yeah. You talking man. about Nordhaus? Man, you're yeah. anywhere up north, yeah. you know, and anywhere around uh, Ludington or any anywhere around like St. Joe or Saugatuck or you get yeah. way up north to where you're by like uh, Torch Lake, you know, yeah. or, or yeah. northern Michigan by the bridge below the bridge. You go mm-hmm. there in October, November when the trees change. That's there's nowhere else in the country looks like that. Honestly, yeah. I actually just went on a trip with four of my really close friends to the UP, and we did the Pictured Rocks and Porcupine oh, Mountains. It's beautiful Peak up there. color change. It, yeah, well, yeah. it felt like a different state. I was like, it where does, It feels I? like a different country even it up does, there by the Pictured yeah. Rocks. It, yeah. It's, it's like, man, yeah. Am, I in, yeah, am I in the coastline by the ocean? Yeah. Like, what? I'm al- yeah. almost like hesitant to even bring it up on the podcast. It's like, I yeah. don't want people yeah. to know about it. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh! yeah. Especially with COVID, man, it's yeah. it's a gamble. Um, but uh, so we've we've talked about your nonprofit a little bit, but I don't think we've actually said it by name. <laughs> so yeah, yeah so, I yeah. guess I'll I'll hand it to you to go. Th- so yeah, over our, that. our nonprofit organization is called the Diatribe. Uh, the Diatribe or the Diatribe Inc. is the legal name. Um, people can go to www.thediatribe.org. Uh, and, and browse our website uh, or they can go to Facebook or Instagram and look up the diatribe. Uh, the diatribe is a black and LGBTQ ran nonprofit organization, which makes it incredibly unique, uh, at least unique in Michigan, especially West Michigan. Um, every single one of our teaching artists is somebody who lives in the margins. Every single one of them is black, brown, queer, etc. Every single teaching artist, every single member of our paid staff, again, is, a, is, is somebody who lives in the margins, which, again, makes our organization incredibly unique uh, when it comes to nonprofit organizations in general. Um, we work with, again, 20, 30 schools a year. Uh, soon, by the time people hear this podcast, they'll be able to go to our website and download digital content. So if they're homeschooling or if they know dynamic educators, they can download this content. It comes with a rubric. It comes with all the content. So they can go ahead and teach that on their own. Um, And again, this first syllabus is is rooted in mental health. And it's, again, primarily all just black and brown voices. Um, Yeah, we do after school programs. We do assemblies. We do workshops. Pre-COVID, we did huge. Yeah. Uh, instead of doing galas and luncheons, we do like poetry festivals, like the Grand Showcase, where we bring in the best artists in the country to, to headline on some of our city's most historic stages. But like that's that's how we run our nonprofit. That's that's how we look at it. And also, uh, we just got like a ninety-eight thousand dollar grant towards general operating expenses. So it's like oh now we're going to be sustainable for even more years. For now, right now we're working at funding three hundred twenty thousand dollars so that we can do really unapologetic, radical uh, murals that have things like "Don't keep buying our neighborhoods" in the southeast side, and, and and really change the way that people look at art in Grand Rapids. Uh, so again, we took something that started off as kind of a hodgepodge idea and grew it in, and grew into something that's not only legitimate, but it's it's going to be one of the biggest art organizations in the city, which is also wild. Whoa! I didn't realize that you were at that scale. I knew it was yeah. big, but like congratulations yeah. on that that yeah. grant. That is Thank massive. You. 
So mm-hmm. is that um is that course that you're offering the free or the downloadable content? Is that free or do you have to charge money to maintain so it, or? Um, it is not free. Um, but if you were, let's say, a parent who was homeschooling and you were to reach out and you were like, "Hey, uh, genuinely, I can't afford this. Uh, we're we're gonna take care of you." Okay. Um, but it is really, really affordable. So it's like nine sessions of content and it's a hundred dollars. So $10 wow. a yeah. session. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so nice. we, that's the one thing that we always try to do is keep things really, really, really affordable for, for educators. Um, people, if schools are buying it, there's also special pricing for schools. If there's districts that are buying it, there's special pricing for districts. Um, so yeah, but so again, it's like- super affordable like one school will buy it and then they're able to use it X amount of times or yeah, so like one school would buy it. One school would buy it and then they have up to like five users could use it or a district would buy it and they'd have up to 20 users that could yeah. use it. Yeah. Wow. That's wonderful. So it kind of goes over, is it just kind of equipping people with a vocabulary for mental health advocacy or is it, are you, is it tied in with the poetry aspect of your work or is it something kind of separate both. from that? Uh, I think both live together. Um, I think it's, it's going through and identifying what being mentally healthy looks like. It goes in and it identifies what does anxiety not only feel like, but what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does depression look like, sound like, feel like? Um, and then articulating these things in an online journal um, and also making this content accessible because let's say especially now with covid right not every kid has a has a chromebook right not every kid has a tablet so this content is is really vibrant and works just as well on a phone as it's going to do on a on a device um but it helps articulate these things and what what do these things look and sound like and feel like and then it expands to uh writers talking about this work and then dissecting that um all right this is where this writer talked about it and how they talked about it right um and then guiding students through prompts of where they're like, all right, now this is where this is where it looks. This is how it looks in my grandfather. or This is how it looks in my mom or this is how it looks in my dad or this is how it looks in me. Uh, and then, again, uploading that content so that their peers can see that uh, and that they're talking about these things in a way that's open and honest and natural and organic and not like forced and clunky um, yeah. so that these students are writing and it hits. Uh, ELA standards. So it hits middle school, eighth and ninth grade or seventh and eighth grade ELA standards. Um, so teachers can actually teach it in place like their poetry units. Um, wow. Yeah. That's cool. So you're essentially creating a bunch of maps and models that allow kids to be able to find themselves within that framework and then give 100%. them a way forward. That's, yeah. that's incredible. And Is over that... time, over time, we'll have one rooted in identity. Uh, over time, oh. we'll have one rooted in like healthy communities and neighborhoods. Um, I don't know if we're going to create one for our writing to write wrongs program, but we have a program that's really popular. I think we teach it in like six, seven schools a year that teaches kids about redlining, about gentrification, about the 1930s lending maps and why our urban neighborhoods look the way that they do, which is really wild because you start to teach in the urban schools and you start to say, yo, um, your neighborhood looks like this, not because everybody around you is poor and doesn't have resources. Your neighborhood looks like this because of racism, and this is why. And they're just like, wait, what? Yeah, um, it was meticulously designed. Yeah. yeah, but this is also why, this is how you can change it. Also, this is the importance of getting involved with your neighborhood association and, and getting your parents sitting on things like city planning seats. Um, 
because they don't want you to to do these things. They don't want yeah. you to to re uh, engineer how the system was yeah. how the system was made, um, which is also really cool in itself. We get to tie social justice issues uh, in in community advocacy issues into creative writing, into arts, to where it's arts and advocacy, but it's it's a way that's organic and digestible, you know. And that's and yeah. that's what our work is in a nutshell. And it's all always been interrelated too. Like you can't separate one without removing the other, you know? So the fact that you have found a way to like package them all in a way and communicate that inclusive whole, I think is really important because oftentimes I feel like these are kind of interdisciplinary things. Like you're studying one thing or the other, but in bringing them together, we have just so much more of an understanding and who better to be able to, you know, guide people through that, you know? And I, I trust that you have the best possible educators that you could have with something like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, our educators are, are incredibly brilliant. The the board members that we have on our board for our nonprofit are some of the best educators in the area. Uh, Rachel, who's our education director, Rachel Gleason, she just formed an education committee, which, again, full of diverse educators who are the most brilliant in our city. Um, so it's like the educators creating this content are brilliant and they're helping create content that's for educators by educators that's again diverse and vibrant and fun and engaging and affordable um but again all of our work when it comes to kids and families is is all free um we never charge kids for any of our workshops for any of our programs um because we're not in it to get rich right we're we're in it to 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 do it to 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 make it something that people can do for years and years to come And I think that that's probably also what adds to your success. I feel like people can really feel when what you're offering is authentic and genuine or when you're offering it just for the sake of getting money, you know? So I think that that is probably what's giving you all this vitality towards this project. And, um, yeah, my hat goes off. Um, so this is going to be released, um, essentially when this podcast drops. I think so. So it was actually supposed to be out this week. Um, but Rachel had some huge grants that came in, like the one I just talked about. So uh, Rachel has to do some grant reporting. Uh, but yeah, it should be out any, any week now for sure. Awesome. Um, so is it essentially just like an online version of what you would normally be doing in like the workshops that you go to schools and offer? Like what do those look like typically? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's very, very close to what we're offering in schools. A hundred percent. I'd say it's very close. It's almost like the evolution then it's making it more accessible to more people across the country who aren't in the same space to be able to actually share that with you. Yeah. And, and one thing that I definitely pride myself on is like my ability to like constantly, I hate the word now um, just because it's so overused when it comes to COVID, but the ability to pivot and in, in to reinvent and to, and to think outside of the box. Um, yeah. And I think that when COVID came, um, a lot of artists and a lot of people were like, dang, venues are closed. What do I do? In uh, arts organizations, were like, "Yo, we can't do shows. How do we keep going?" In um, organizations like ours that work with kids in schools, are like, "Yo, schools are closed. Now, what do we do?" Um, and we were fortunate enough to to continue to pivot and reinvent and think, like, you know, how does how does what we do exist without us in the room? Um, how does what we do exist in the now to where if we do find the new normal? Um, that again, we have this new thing that now exists and can go farther than we ever thought. Cause before we were like, we're, we're fine just teaching in Michigan. You know, we teach all across Michigan, but now teachers in Philly can teach this content. 
teachers in Detroit can teach this content. Teachers in New York can teach this content. Teachers in North Carolina can teach this content. Um, and our teaching artists and their voices and the artists in our community can go so much farther um, than they did before, which again is really, really beautiful. Yeah, I think that's one of the the few upsides to the COVID thing is that it's forcing adaptation for a lot of um, artists to be able to like stretch into some new spaces. And I think that this is honestly going to have some huge positive ramifications, you know? So, so. you know, it, it's hard to say that like every, something is like completely hundred percent bad or hundred percent good. You know, there's always that little bit of gray area where you just, who would have expected this, you know? hundred percent. So. And I'm somebody who like, again, I, I try to challenge myself as much as possible not to use words like good or bad because they're, they're yeah. make believe like time. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's like, how else would I describe good or bad? Like, is it, is it, is it healthy? Is it accessible? Is it easy to digest? Is it relatable? Is it like, and again, when it comes to bad, is it, is it something that is going to become irrelevant? Is it something that is going to become obsolete? Is it something that can't function in the now? So it's like, if those are the issues, how do I make it function in the now? How do I make it relevant? How do I like, all right, now that I've identified these things, like how do I make this exist with, with these attributes? Yeah. And I feel like your ability to be able to break down words and like recreate, like use different words to replace like simple terms. I mean, it comes from you being a poet, obviously, but I think that that's something that poetry can really equip you to do is to like dive deeper into your experience and to be able to actually look for new terms that fit more aptly and then explore your experience more. Without you know, a doubt. I, yeah, that's important. Um, so we were talking a little bit about um, what depression looks like and all of these tools that you're um, using for your, your program, do you want to give people a little bit of a little taste on like dive into that actual subject? Namely uh, what I'm wondering is like in the COVID time, as everybody's living in uncertainty, I feel like a lot of people have Latin anxiety that may have never had anxiety and don't recognize it as anxiety. So just as like an example, would you be able to dive into those aspects of anxiety and how they manifest in people? Um, yeah, or is it sure. too so big I'm, of a slice? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a, it is a pretty big slice, but I, I'm somebody who, uh, has anxiety who's been diagnosed as having anxiety i'm somebody who's been diagnosed with bipolar and i'm somebody who's been diagnosed with depression um anxiety feels well to me feels like uh those moments right before like the tea kettle whistles where it's like it, it's it's gonna boil over um anxiety feels like the inside of a beehive. Uh, the anxiety feels like uh, my brain is is going funny, like static on a TV. Now I'm dating myself and aging myself. <laughs> uh, anxiety feels like um, like I'm I'm riding my bike and I take my hands off my handlebars and I hit something. In that moment when my brain makes the connection of, oh, I hit something is what anxiety feels like. Um, I think the now, the hard part is like, anxiety is so much rooted in, in nervousness and uncertainty in, in these weird vibrations um, that now people are in survival mode. Um, so naturally your, your body's reaction to all these things is gonna be so much higher 
um, because you're in survival mode. Um, but I, I definitely agree with with now people's experience with anxiety is heightened with with depression it's heightened um with whatever mental health they're they're holding is is heightened uh drastically um but now more than ever it's even more important that we're not only finding resources but we're finding healthy outlets and alternatives to the way that we were coping before um not everybody has the means or the resources to see a therapist right um But it it is significantly easier to get a journal, uh, to write the date and times where it feels almost unbearable down so that you can go back to that journal and see if there's commonalities, right? If, if there's certain things, certain things that are, I, um, I'm not a fan of the word trigger, but that are triggering these moments or, or certain spaces that you're in where, where these things are heightened or certain people that you hang around where these things are heightened. And if you start to see these patterns, oh man. It's my significant other. Whenever I get home from work and see my significant other, it's heightened. And it's like, well, then maybe you need to work on leaving that situation, right? Or if it's like, oh, man, um, if it's always at the end of the day, right before I go to sleep, my brain doesn't turn off. And it, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And it's like, all right, then maybe I need to do something else before I go to sleep that makes me a little bit more tired and it makes me a little bit more exhausted. But if you are fortunate enough to, to go see a mental health professional, um, now it, it's more important that you utilize these resources never um yeah yeah and i have known um i live with someone who uh works with finding um people experiencing homelessness especially mm-hmm. youth have them find uh housing and she's telling me that there's actually a ton of like online resources now where you can actually talk with a licensed therapist and it's yeah. much cheaper than what it was when meeting in person and you can have people from all over the country too so um, I feel like with an hour dedicated towards a good Google search, you could probably come up with maybe something. And um, if it's not something you can afford, you know, I mean, YouTube does have a lot of really good resources with how to, like, develop healthy coping mechanisms and how to be able to spot it. Um, I really like that journal idea because it reminds me of, like, if you're lost in the woods at night mm-hmm. and, like, all you have is your flashlight to, like, orient yourself, it might be good to write down landmarks so that way when mm-hmm. you circle back to it, you're like, oh, I recognize that landmark because I wrote about it. And it helps you kind of create a, a mental map that you can navigate. Um, mm-hmm. But unless you know what the things keep cycling, you know, and it creates space and allows you to kind of step away from it. And it's from that that you can observe it as an external thing, so to speak, you know, and I think that that's, that's powerful. Do you find that you're able to convey that through your poetry? Um, do you imbue some poetry with those energetic states or do you try and find space from them first before you interact with that art form? I think unfortunately I write the best when I am in those states. I I write the best when I am in the, the darkest spots or when I am super anxious or when I feel the most, or the least stable, um, I think that's when a lot of that best work comes out, um, which it's not always the best to go back and then read some of that stuff and put yourself back in that spot when it comes to performance dynamics so that it, it comes off natural and comfortable um, and authentic. Um, but every single time you do that as well, it makes it easier to hold and easier to hold and easier to hold and easier to hold. Uh, so that when you're in that stage next time you're, you're used to holding it, you know? Um, so I do think it's definitely super, super helpful and therapeutic. It's almost, I mean, within that it is a coping mechanism it allows you to be able to hold that energy. And I feel like oftentimes with a lot of mental, um, 
illness and the such, like a big part of it is the inability to hold that energy without identifying with it so much. So I feel like by doing poetry and like purposefully re-entering those spaces for performance sake, it allows you to like get to know it more and more deeply so that it doesn't have the same energetic hold. Do you yeah. find that that's an accurate assessment? Yeah, or? I definitely think that's an accurate yeah. assessment. Yeah. And that's, that's something else that I found just really interesting is like, to be a poet and to be able to convey these like heavy energetic spaces, you really do. It's it, there's kind of like this like self-sacrificial aspect where you're like <laughs> kind of like, I don't even know if that, that might be a little heavy, but um, you're like, you're re-entering those spaces to communicate to other people how to like it, it not that it hurts you, but it puts you in a more vulnerable compromised position so that you can connect with the other people. And I feel like in that, it can be really powerful actually. Yeah. I know. Absolutely agree. hundred percent. Hmm. So for people who are experiencing, um, mental illness and they are hearing what you're saying and are like, wow, maybe I should start writing poetry. I've never written poetry before. What are some like tips and advice you would give them to be able to like start that journey within themselves? Um, to start, to start, to start. Right. Um, get get a notebook right um start writing down your story start writing down pieces of your story um don't worry about it having to rhyme don't worry about it having to look a certain way on paper um start writing about your feelings and the, and the things that you're struggling with and then worry about the different ways that you can say those things um i think that even now i think uh, there might be people who are listening to me, me speak who are, who are struggling with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or a lot of other things who are just like, man, he seems so, he seems so clear. Right. And, and I think that if you go back in time and listen to other interviews, or if you listen to certain work, uh, or for those people who knew me at a different point in life, uh, things didn't always feel so clear. Um, and there's still a lot of days where things don't feel so clear. Um, and again, like, there's there's never going to be a normal, right? Normal is make-believe. There's never going to be a, a cured, right? Like, that, that's not real. Um, you're just constantly adventuring, and you're constantly going through it, and you're constantly learning ways to do it better. Um, so I would say that make your writing that. Make your writing the journey. Um, and, and know that some of it's going to become irrelevant, um, but keep doing it um, yeah. because it, it's for you, and you're worth it. Yeah. And I mean, it gets to be at a point when you're uh, skilled enough where it is for other people too. And that can really inform your own healing path. I'm sure, you know, when you're able to have someone come up and like, Hey, what you said really affected me in a, a positive way. And I feel you. And then like, it allows you to be seen, you know? Yeah. Like, and sometimes when it's for you, it ends up being for other people as well. Yeah, right. Like yeah. sometimes you're like, yo, I just need to write about, uh, my biological father. He did this. And, and this stuck with me. So I'm going to write through this for me. And then you read that and somebody else is like, yo, my pops did that too. Thank you. That that's, I received that. Right. Um, so then even though it, it was about you, it, it, it grew into something that was for somebody else. Yeah. Um, and there's power in that too. Yeah. You, you just, you don't really know when you're like the inception of a poem or any piece of work, just like the far reaching ramifications that it's going to have, you mm -hmm. know? 
So one last thing I wanted to touch on before I let you get with your day. I know you had a uh, pretty um, active day already. Um, I think a big, uh, big question or a big thing that comes up in a lot of the circles I'm in is the nature of medication and mental health. I, for one, feel I'm very open. I think whatever helps you find a sense of stability and gives you enough space to like do other things that work for you. I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an advocate for it, but I do know a lot of people who are in my circle who are very staunchly against it. Uh, oddly enough, they're the ones who've never taken it, but you know, they have the strongest opinions. So like, yeah. what, what would you say on the path of finding a sense of stability within your experience? Where would you say medication comes in? Um, do what you need to get to where you need to get to. Uh, there, there were some points in my life where medication was really, really helpful. Um, and that I wouldn't have found the balance I needed at the time without medication. There's a lot, there's been so many different medications that I've been on, um, between Prozac and, and Seroquel and Abilify and, and man, there's just been, there's been so many, um, some of my experiences with medication were really, really, really awful. Um, some of them, I, I felt like they put me on so much and, and there's a lot of complexities when it comes to race and medication, right? I was living with a roommate who was telling me, oh man, I was on Seroquel and I was like, man, that stuff makes me feel like a zombie. I take it and I run into walls and he, oh, how, how much do you want? And I'm on literally four times as much as him and he's smaller oh. than me uh, or, or he's bigger than me. Um, so it's like, I know that there's issues uh, when it comes to doctors and race and medication. But again, um, if you think that something could work uh try it but also understand that medications are a long road it's not like a oh hey um i'm gonna take medication for two weeks and get better that's that's not the way it works like uh no matter what you try to to feel good uh or to feel as best as you can or to to improve your quality of life um it's gonna take so much work so no matter what you try whether it's writing in a journal whether it's medication, whether it's physical activity, commit to it for six months um, and see where you're at after six months. Um, and after six months, you're like, yo, this isn't meant for me, then switch it up, right? But also understand that if you write for six months and you use writing for six months and you stop, um, things are going to be very, very hard. If you take medication for six months and you become reliant on it and you stop, things are going to become very hard. If you go for a run every single day for six months and you stop running, things are going to be very hard. <laughs> if you if you change your diet and you only eat vegan and vegetarian, the next thing you know, you eat a hamburger, things are going to be very hard. Like yeah. Things are always going to be hard in the transition period. So give yourself grace and understand that like you're going to have to try different things. And, and, and with medications, most times it's a cocktail of them mixing the right yeah. things. Yeah. When it comes to... Uh, you being the most healthy you, maybe it's a little bit of physical activity. Maybe it's a little bit of journaling. Maybe it's a little bit of, oh, I'm going to use Google Calendar. That way I know what every single day looks like. So then I don't feel overwhelmed as soon as something new pops up, right? Whatever. But you're going to have to find your perfect cocktail. And that's that's what mental wellness is, is, is it's finding your recipe. And everybody's is different. Yeah. I almost feel like I would I'd throw in like to not get discouraged if you do try one modality and it doesn't work. Like what it has the potential to do is get you to a new plateau to where you can see things. Even if it's just like yeah. an inch to the west, you're in a different framework and perspective and it might 
illuminate the next step of that journey. You know, there's no like, like you said, there's no end goal. It's a continual lifelong thing. So even if it's not the thing that makes you 100% better, you know, it 10% is better. <laughs> yeah, know? I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. All right, my friend. Um, well, we're at over an hour. That's where I started. We'd take it. <laughs> I really appreciate you doing this, man. This is a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. So thank you so, so, so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm honored. Um, for people who want to support uh, the Die Tribe and all the other things that you do, where can they find you? And what are some ways that um, they can help? Because like, I would honestly like kind of love to get involved, but I, I know yeah. that I, you know, as a cis white male, um, that doesn't really fit like the, the teaching. So I, I wouldn't get involved yeah, in that so way. There, there's there's going to be a lot of different ways that people can get involved. So I'd say in the next like year or so, in the next two years, I, I would assume that we'd have our physical space. Um, and we're definitely going to have volunteers be more than welcome to come in and get involved with kids in the neighborhood and people in the community. Um, so that's a way, um, for everyday human beings, for everybody who's listening to this, uh, go to the diatribe website, thediatribe.org. Sign up for the email list, right? On the, if you scroll to the bottom, there's this option to sign up for an email list. Um, we have a lot of different events. Our events are, are a great way to help, right? To come to one of the events and to listen to the kids and, and to yeah. see them and to cheer them on and to scream and clap for them. That's a fantastic way to be involved, like just yeah. showing up for kids. Um, a lot of people can't even do that first step, which is showing up. That's a big way to help. Um, another way to help, uh, we're we're going to be doing a lot of different uh, – word of mouth is going to be huge. We're going to be doing a lot of different stuff. Programming is going to look significantly different. That's going to be a huge way to help. Um, of course, people can donate. If you have a job that donates to nonprofits, we, we are a 501c3, right? Um, so we are a, a, a federally uh, – we are seen by the federal government and the state is a, is a, is a nonprofit, a charitable organization. So if you want to donate or know people who do, uh, you can have the text right off for doing that. Um, that's always a huge way you can find that information on our website. Um, but yeah, follow us on Instagram follow us on Facebook, uh, go to the website. When it comes to my personal art, uh, mind You can also look up fable, the poet on Facebook, on Instagram or whatever, share a video, uh, click play on one of them. I thought that today I'd be able to announce my new book, but I'm waiting on the final peer review from oh. uh, a press. Um, but soon I'll be announcing my, my first full length collection of, of work and my latest work. Uh, you heard a sample of it uh, yeah. as, as soon as this podcast began, but it's an entire just full length audio project that was brought to life with, with audio scored, mixed, mastered. Uh, nice. So it's an audio project as well as a book. Um, but that should be, releasing sometime in 2021 uh so yeah we'll see yeah that was i just want to reiterate that what i what i opened with it's so awesome i love how the beat comes in like halfway through like i wasn't even right i'm just like yeah i'm, I'm feeling this this is really hit me and then it's like oh shit that beat like where did that come yeah. from it's like dang okay okay yeah cool all right, man. Well, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you again for coming on the show. Hopefully we can have you on soon. Yeah, thank you so much. You have a fantastic day, fam. Yeah, you as well. All right, friends, that was the episode. Thank you for tuning in and making it here to the end. Uh, big thanks to Fable for joining me on this one as we uh, dive deep into some really important topics. Um, if you haven't already, give us a like over on Facebook. Uh, it's 21st Century Vitalism. Should come up. You see the logo? It's all there. Um, also, if you are inclined and listening on Apple Podcasts, or if you're not and you just care, 
um, go give us a positive review. It actually really helps with the algorithm and helping other people find the show. I'd like to reach out to as many people as possible in case someone hears a subject that helps them in their life. Um, yeah, those are some really good ways to support us. Um, just saying you like the show, letting me know, comment on the wall. Um, any feedback is good. If there's something you don't like, let me know. I'm always changing. I'm always open to suggestions. So um, if you're interested in keeping up with Fable and all the work that he's doing, if you're interested in the courses that he's doing, you can head over to thediatribe.org. That is T-H-E dot D-I-A t-r-i-b-e dot org that's where you can get the classes they should be ready to go by the time you hear this you can also look up mindoffable.com where you can catch up to date with all his uh current works you can catch him on youtube like i said he's got some really wonderful videos and uh yeah he's on facebook is fable the poet he's got all the all social credentials so um hope you all have a great week and i will catch you next week at wednesday at the same time bye